Drummond here with Allie Alvarigo, SchoolOwnerTalk.com. Um, Allie, we have a very, I'm excited anyways, uh, very special guest with us. Uh, I'll let you introduce him, and uh, obviously this call is going to be wrapped around uh, him and his experience. And so, Allie, who do we have on the call today? Well, well, first off, I, I mean, it's not that we could just introduce him by name only because there's a lot that goes into this this gentleman, and, um, you know, it goes back in history, especially for those martial arts school owners out there that are on this call because I believe to probably most extent that this gentleman is responsible for the way the industry is right now as an actual, and Dwayne and I, you know, we always hold up our quote fingers, air quotes, um, as an industry, you know, recognizing the simple fact that it is a, uh, it's a livelihood, it's a business, and it's something that if focused on could be quite amazing for an individual or, or people. So without further ado, this gentleman, he was the pioneer in many regards to this movement, and his name is none other than John Graydon, and I'm excited. John, we know each other for a long time, and I'm excited to be with you here today. Thanks for coming on our call. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, so, so let's jump right in. I mean, tell us a little bit real quickly about your uh, you know, what, what was your vision back way back when, and when when did uh, you start NAPMA? What what was the year? Was it in the in the early nineties? I remember probably around that area. Well, in the late eighties, I had the actually mid eighties. I had the privilege of Joe Lewis moving to this area. Some of you may have heard the name Joe Lewis. He was a great kickboxer, pioneer, Bruce Lee student, just one of the true icons of the martial arts, in, in many regards, the best black belt ever, period. Mm-hmm. And he moved to the area, and he took me on as his personal training partner. And we, you know, we trained. I didn't have a school, so I, we, we trained at the Jewish Community Center. We trained at the local rec center in the, in the, in the uh, basketball court. We trained at a local college where I had classes in the gymnastic court. And eventually, you know, he saw that I had a huge following of students that would follow me around to all these places. They'd take their class in the afternoon at the college and then follow me to wherever I taught that night and take a second class. He goes, John, you have to give your students a home. And I said, wow, I, I never thought about that because I knew exactly what that meant. That struck me to accord exactly how I felt about my school when I was a teenager because I used to use that school as an escape from my home life. There were times that my you know, my mom and my, my brothers, we we escaped to the school and spent the night there to escape our dad. So I knew exactly what creating a home meant. It was, it struck an emotional core with me instantly. The next day I started looking for a location. I mean, it was that, and at the same time though, for years, my other really good friend to this day is Mike Anderson. And Mike Anderson is the guy who created the full contact karate movement and, the rules for point karate that we all follow to this day. I mean, he was the pioneer visionary. He always said, John, you're a really good teacher. You should open a school. You'd make a lot of money. That never resonated with me. I knew nothing about making money. I thought that if I opened a school, people would realize I have no idea what I'm doing. So eventually I wrote a book called The Imposter Syndrome, and and that ties into that because the imposter syndrome is the feeling that you're not as smart, talented, or skilled as everyone else thinks you are. So that happened, and I opened the school, and the school did very well for about six months. 
and my first month I made $5,800. I thought I was a martial arts millionaire, 1987. By month six or seven, the gross was so low, it actually was lower than the numbers that I had on my ledger sheet, my piece of paper that tracked the gross, and I drew a little explosion, and the word, ah, <laughs> it, was, it was under 1900 bucks. You know, Mr. Martial Arts Millionaire uh, was beating his students up too much, I guess. So it was yeah. really going bad. And, and so what I did was I got on the phone, and I called all my friends, guys like uh, – that were doing a really good job. They had a six-figure income, and they were creating great black belts. And that creating black belts, great black belts, to this day is really important to me. I think that's really critical. Right. You've you got to produce a great product. And I took a seminar, actually, by with, with John Worley, who I just, I just recently interviewed on the martialartsteachers.com site. And he opened my eyes to a whole different world. I said, holy cow. The Black Belt Club, contracts, tuition, expensive tuition, actually being able to ask for $100 a month or in those days, you know, $79 a month. It was a big deal. Right. So I turned my school around following the principles that I learned from my friends. Again, guys doing six figures and creating black belts, uh, great black belts. I turned my school around and became one of those six-figure income school owners. And... Then I wrote a book that I thought, you know, there's a lot of guys out there like me that that are holding on to old ideals. They're holding on to the starving artist mentality, which is really prevalent in our our field of endeavor. I don't call it an industry because it's not an industry. It's a field of endeavor. But that aside, uh, the book was Black Belt Management, and it really did well because – I was known as a, a, a good fighter, a champion. So it's one of those things where Graydon can do it, so can I. I mean, he, he, he's got really good students. He's a good black belt. He's one of Joe Lewis's protégés. If he can do it, so can I. And the book did extraordinarily well. And then I was in actually Las Vegas and doing a seminar. And Larry Doak from a company called IFC that is long off the, the map, he approached me with a box of business cards said john graden president national association of professional martial arts he was john you're the only guy that can do this and that was the start of natma wow wow great it, it kind of is interesting john it's it almost sounds like uh like m- many martial arts school school owners how they open their school it's almost accidentally right you know where all of a sudden their teacher says here teach or or they, you know, they uh, all of a sudden get a school because they have a few students, and then they, there they are. But you took it and took that opportunity and went on to, I mean, literally build a worldwide organization. Yeah, it was it was a massive success. I started in the spare bedroom of my my home in St. Petersburg, Florida. Larry was kind enough to let me use his mailing list, and I sent out seven hundred and about seven hundred sample boxes. And 125 of them enrolled the following week at $99 a piece. It became really a monster, a, a very influential monster. And then I started Martial Arts Professional Magazine, and that's where I – because I, I knew that there was a large percentage of the martial arts world that were not going to follow me. They're not going to join that, but they're not going to pay attention to this. 
So I have to reach them another way. So I, I paid upwards of a little over $20,000 a month to, to produce, print, and distribute martial arts professional magazine. And that went out to 26,000 schools every month. So even the guys that weren't signing on, I was still reaching and helping them understand how to take care of their families and take care of their future and take care of their students by running a more professional martial arts school. And in the end, that's what got me in trouble with censure because the I became way too influential according to their standards, and they started to launch lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. Right. And eventually destroyed it. Yeah, and, you know, I was there the whole time, and, I, and you and I have had some really great behind-the-scenes conversations, you know, as friends sharing with me what you went through. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough industry, right, when it comes to ego and, and control. I mean, I find that now even – and I wanted to get this into it at the end, but maybe we'll just jump right into this question and, and then kind of circle our way back. But even the industry now has some people that have reached a, a pinnacle of success to some extent, and they're pulling the same – kind of thing where they're they're the only ones that know what's going on they're the only ones that do it right they're the only ones with the idea and i honestly and i, I would love your opinion feel that this is bad for our industry where people think that way what, what what do you think about that it's human nature right and that's the it's dichotomous in that the same guys that get up and talk and teach and I'll use the word preach, the importance of integrity, telling the truth, honor, got on the stand and lied to their teeth. Right, right. And, and, and they get on the Internet and they lie to the teeth. And what, what you're describing is a preponderance of pride. And I think really it's changed a little bit. It's changed a lot for the worse over the course, and I don't want this to be in, by any stretch a negative conversation, but it has it has um, it has really gotten worse in terms of pride. And pride is a, a a very dangerous place to go, and we're seeing it more and more because with the internet, you can quickly become someone of note and right. someone of it, that people pay attention to, and then right. you know you start throwing up that you. I made six, our, my company did seventeen million dollars last year, so you must listen to me. That stuff is the sign to me of insecurity right. and pride, and that's a dangerous place to be. I know yeah, it because I, I recognize it because I, I I was there. I mean, I was I wasn't that guy to that degree, but I was certainly prideful. And it, it was, um, in retrospect, not something I'm proud of. Yeah, and I remember back in the day, you and I had a great conversation, and it was it was interesting. It's funny, I, I wrote an article, a small little thing for the magazine that you did, and I remember it was kind of cool, because in a way, and I don't know if you even know this, you kind of mentored me through the article, but you also kind of guided me down a path 
um, by asking me questions. Allie, do you really want it this way? And I remember in my article, I wrote a lot of things that would say, start with, you should do this and you should do that. And one quote I used to this day that you wrote, you wrote me back, you said, Allie, um, you know, if you keep on shooting people, you're going to shoot all over yourself. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, so I understood. And from now on, you know, I, I, have, I use that myself quite often when I talk to people. But um, so not being negative, the industry, the way it's going, um, and, and maybe some people, and pride and ego is a big thing, most importantly in the martial arts, as we know, because, uh, you know, our martial arts is what we believe in wholeheartedly. It's like one of those things like religion. You, know, you believe your religion is the only religion, or your political view is the only political view. And you could see just with our race for president, how many people battling and how many friendships have probably been ended. Um, so it's a tough one. But where do you see our industry going now? And, and Dwayne, by the way, I, you know, I'd love to get you in on this if you have any questions. So, but John, where do you see our industry going as far as uh, the industry at a whole or, or what you call the, you know, a, I, I don't know what term you used. Well, it's a field of endeavor because it's not an industry. It's not industrious. And there are no, this is really an important point. There are no educational prerequisites to become a professional martial artist. You can come out of college, a university with a degree in business. You can come out of prison and open a school as well. Right. And both ends of the spectrum are part of the milieu of the field of endeavor. So it's not one – I love the martial arts. I find, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have the same affection for it that I did. I, I don't – I don't have that. That's been there's been way too much reality to help me understand the people that are involved in the leadership positions in the martial arts that right. are uh, you know it's, it's it's just it's just very interesting. But by the same token, the martial arts has taken me all over the world. It's you know, it helped me to to ex have experiences that I never had before. That I, I can't say that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I don't know. I often think what my life would be like without martial arts. And, and typically, it's not a really good uh, conclusion or, or picture when I think about that because the guys that I met in the arts have been so helpful and influential. So, you know, it, it's hard to have bad things to say about the arts. Right. But what I'm seeing right now is an ego driven. Uh, yeah, more ego-driven than I've seen before, and this has always been an ego-driven field. Right, and right. I, I think that I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, and and I believe it is a fact, F A C T, that mm, people who are career martial artists come out of dysfunctional, painful childhoods, and their outlook, their worldview is different than the average person. And sometimes that works to their advantage, and sometimes it works to their disadvantage. And uh, yeah. we're seeing both ends of that right now. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. I, I think, and, and Dwayne, please, you know, comment if you if you have any thoughts. But I think that I think everyone has everyone on the planet has a form of dysfunction if you look deep enough. Um, so in our industry, similar to that of the counseling industry or similar to that of the fitness industry, um, people are going to come to you with that ailment, whether it be being overweight or you know having some emotional issues or whatever. And in the martial arts, they're searching something for something. Some people, not all of them, are mm -hmm. searching 
are, you know, uh, trying to find that, that pathway. So we do have to deal with that on a regular basis more often. And you're right, the people that have risen to the top, some of them have that dysfunction in their lives. And now because they have that strength and power, and this is why a lot of martial artists are either in trouble for sexual abuse or, you know, harassment and so on and so forth, because they have that ultimate power where people say yes quite easily. And um, now it's almost like a kid in a candy store. They could pretty much do whatever they want. And that's where their morals get them in trouble, because if they don't have a good, solid moral foundation, they can skew or, or stray off path and easily be in uh, areas that could be dangerous. I so, could not agree more. Well put, Ali. Yeah, yeah. So um, anyway, my, my thoughts, too, are, you know, how about, um, well, Dwayne, first, do you have any questions? Quick, Dwayne? I put him asleep. No, I'm just, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> I, I am uh, I, I'm listening, uh, listening attentively. I just, I'm, I guess I'm kind of uh, awestruck, you know. I mean, Mr. Graydon was um, one of the biggest reasons why, you know, I have the school that I have today with regards to, you know, actually being able to make a living doing martial arts. Because I can recall uh, telling a, a friend of mine that I wanted to do this full time, and he basically laughed at me. And right. I'm like, there's, there's, and the only reason I knew there's people out there doing that was because of Natma and because of John Graydon. So uh, I'm, I'm just sitting back listening. You know, I'll, I definitely will cut in if I have a question, but I'm. Okay. Well, you know, in regards to what you just said, it's interesting. I have a student now. He's a young man. He runs one of my schools. He's 25. Um, his dad is a retired police officer. And the poor kid is forced. He's been forced every time to take the test for the police academy. And I say the poor kid because he doesn't want to do it. Um, and, um, and he does it because his dad makes him because his dad's like, you're going to have to pick a career. And I said, ask your dad how much he made at <laughs> At the peak of his of his life, you know, as a cop, you know, how much did he make? And our Nassau County police officers make a good amount of money. Mm -hmm. And then, then he asked his dad, and his dad told him, and he says, you know, Shion has made, uh, Shion Alley has made probably like five times that money, you know, and he's a martial art guy, you know, holding up the quote fingers. So I can have a lifestyle and live, and he's running my school and doing well, but he gets this pressure, like almost like, what are you going to do when you grow up kind of mentality. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, because – what your your friend, your 25-year-old friend is doing is, is the American dream. Mm -hmm. It is doing what you love to do and being paid well for it. That's right. the American dream, and that that's what I wanted to share so desperately with these guys. Once I figured the once I figured it out, you know, it had to right. do with making black belt a goal, making right. the whole school focused on earning a black belt, and all the students are supportive of each other making that that goal of, of becoming a black belt and and the whole idea of, you know, it, it, today it sounds kind of trite and, and, and old school, but it's the same, black belt excellence. That stuff matters. It right. matters in a big way. How would a black belt sit and listen to the teacher? How would right. a black belt do his homework? How would a black belt answer his parents when he's told to take the trash out? Right. That stuff is powerful. It's not just sales talk. It is absolutely how you want your kids to live their life. And for adults, it's a wonderful way to look at the world. It's a worldview that, that is a positive outlook, that if I work hard, I do the right things, good things will happen to me. And, and what's interesting is that, you know, I'm 55 now, not that I'm old by any stretch, and I'll climb in the ring with anyone to prove right. it. But, but the point yeah. is I have kids. And, and my wife was raised in the Church of Christ, which is really 
like the ultimate traditional Christian upbringing. This is, I mean, you're, you're talking Shaolin Temple equivalent in martial arts. Major. They don't have instruments. They don't. I mean, it's really serious. It, a whole, but so on the other end, we go to a church that has a great band and and, and the guy is funny and it, it, but the message is so powerful and so strong that all of this really is biblical in many ways. It, it, it goes back to. Much of what I hear in sermons every Sunday, I say, holy cow, I taught that to my kids, you know, being my, my martial arts kids. You know, it was – that's so spot on. That's so good. That's so, it, it, that's so healthy. That's so that's so powerful, and, and the world needs to hear this stuff. So the, the, it's nothing uh, – my point is that it's nothing new. What we're teaching, if you teach it well, is literally thousands of years old, but you have to teach it well, and you've got to walk the talk. Yeah, and you know what's interesting in, in our next question. Um, Somebody Italy, else in the window. Uh, okay. Um, I thought of when Dwayne and I coaching, and we we talk about you. I don't, we're getting some static. I don't think it's from my end, but um. Anyway, what what well, it we do? Like somebody we opened the window and you're flying through the air. You're in air, you're in an airplane now. Yeah, well, actually, I'm, I'm not though. I don't know if it's me. Is it me? Is you guys? Is it? Is it's that better? Now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so what I was saying, John, too, is that you know, for for us, when we talk, uh, Dwayne and I, we talk about this thing, this bright shiny object, and we talk about. Um, you know, building a bis- business that has a really strong foundation because all the things that you talked about, which I believe in wholeheartedly because, you know, I'm a traditionalist. I, I love, you know, changing people's lives through giving them tools like anybody would, like whether it be a Tony Robbins or whatever, just giving them tools where they can um, implement or, you know, put them in and plug into their lives. But we talk about how the industry is always trying to sell um, that, next, that next thing that next bright package or that, that dojo in a box, when, what is your opinion on what would be the top things or let's say the top five things you think a school owner should really be focusing on because Dwayne and I talk about that in terms of systems and education and so on. What do you think about that? Well, I certainly understand the desire to replicate what someone else who's been successful is doing. That makes total sense. Right. The, the danger is... You've got to do your research to make sure this person knows he, what he or she is talking about. You have people out there who are really good at what they do. Right. You know, Melody Schumann for little kids. Right. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, and I don't have any relationship with her business-wise. Greg Silva, guys, a systems master. There, there right. are guys out there and, and girls out there that, that really do know what they're doing. But none of that is going to help if you don't have a solid internal vision of what your end result is to be, and this is this is really, really important because for me, you know, I, I, I when I tested for black belt, we had to do over twenty forms, right? And I thought, holy cow, you know, and and I had more trophies in kata division than I did in fighting division, and I love kata, I, I honestly do. I enjoy teaching it, I enjoy doing it, but what I realized is that I'm a freak. There's not a lot of people that share my passion for this stuff. It's to me, and I use the phrase Russian ballet. It's like teaching Russian ballet. Right. And and there's a there's a um, a corollary that I use in, in, in that we advertise 
imagine you're teaching English. You know, you, that you're, you're, you're advertising, hey, come learn English with us. It's fun. It's easy. It will save your life. It'll make your life a lot better. <clears throat> so come and learn English. And they sign up and they go to class and they sign up and, and they, they start their first class and you start to teach them Latin. Right. And they go, what the heck? I thought I signed up for English. And you say, oh, well, you have to learn this first. Right. Before you can really understand English. That's traditional martial arts. And that's a mistake. I love the traditional martial arts. People think I don't. I absolutely do. But I realize I'm a very small percentage of the world. So I think you have to look first at your curriculum. The curriculum is your recipe book for the restaurant. It's what's going to be served on the table. So for me, what I really broke it down to was that my curriculum, I thought, you know, it's not teaching Taekwondo. It's not teaching Texquando. It's teaching people respect and courtesy. It's teaching them self-defense so that if they ever have to write that check, they can write it. It's teaching them a positive outlook on life so they know that if they work hard and do the right things, good things will happen to them. And it's also teaching them that proper execution is honoring the arts. That's really right. important to me as well. I, I, I'm, a, I'm, again, a kata nut. I, I love good form. But can I achieve that without teaching 20 katas? Yeah, I can achieve that without teaching 20 katas. I can achieve that through doing a kickboxing-based curriculum that people like a lot more than they do this traditional stuff. Right. And traditional, you got to think about traditional. It, there's a difference between traditional and classical. Traditional is simply something we have done for a long time. That is a, that, that's all it means, traditional. Classical means it's something that has been done. This is the classical way of doing classical music. There's a certain genre of music. It's right. different from traditional. So you can create your own tradition, and you don't have to be tied to someone else's baggage. You know. Yeah, their dogma of what they've yeah, done. Exactly, because their experience, what what they experience, touched them deeply on an emotional level and changed their life. That's wonderful. That doesn't mean for a second it's going to have the same effect on anyone else. And what schools are run by today and then and forever, ever since martial arts began, is that they're trying – it's like in the um, – this is venturing into crazy territory, but in the addiction area, they call this chasing the dragon. Right. And you're trying to chase that first buzz. And I think a lot of martial arts schools are run – Chasing the dragon. Yeah, they're they're not they're not designed for the students that are enrolling today in their classes. They're designed to replicate the emotional effect that the school had or the curriculum had on the instructor back in a different time. And that's and you know what's cool. interesting. You and I had this conversation very similar um, in the past, and I remember and recalling uh, being annoyed at you for this conversation because a lot of what you said I wholeheartedly disagree with. However, um, upon retrospect and going in deeper, I then agreed with you after thinking about it from your context. So what I mean by that is everything you said made total sense However, I didn't like what I was hearing um, because I believed wholeheartedly in what I was teaching. However, 
I knew what you were saying was correct, meaning like, you know, not everyone will have the same experience. So I can tell people, hey, it's the magic pill and it's going to change your life. And if they don't understand it, it's not going to. Or if it's not, you know, the same exact situation, it won't change their lives. However, what I did, John, and you were an inspiration to me on this, was I looked at my art and I said, what can I do to keep this art intact the way I learned it mm-hmm. in Japan and so on? And, but, but how can I get people to actually get that experience, to go through that, that, that lesson plan? And I had to formulate my lesson plan in a way so that people got uh, an end result that was intended, if that makes sense. So I took my curriculum. It totally makes sense. Because for me, it. It, was, it was creating more of a kickboxing-like curriculum because that was my strength. For you, right. it was creating more of a ninjutsu curriculum because that, your, that was your strength. But you, if I'm hearing you correctly, you were honest about what you were teaching and then modifying it to really serve your students. Exactly. And it wasn't like, you know, someone said to me, well, why do we bow? And I said, well, because that's why, because my teacher did. And, and he, you know, like, for example, in my school, we bow on every corner of the mat before we enter the floor. So when I've been asked this question, they said, why do you do that? I said, well, to be honest, I do it because my teacher in the city, that's the way we bowed into his school. Um, you know, so what's the value to it? You know, and then I said, well, really, honestly, it's nothing more than what he taught me. And I did it. There is no value. However, what I did was go back in and create and a reason for all the things that I did that made value. And, and some of the things I, I deleted, you know, I got rid of because they weren't valuable. Um, but majority of the stuff, I, I took what you had to say to heart, and I said, you know what, I do have to create, there's got to be an end result for this, this tradition, or else it's wasted. You know, there's got to be a reason why we do X, Y, and Z, or really there's no sense to doing it. So you're right, and, and I, I thank you for that, because it really did help me take an art that I loved and not throw it away because what most people did when they had that epiphany is they just they got rid of it and that's why I feel bad for a lot of martial artists these days that sold their their schools to do just kickboxing and they bought into that whole mindset like if I want to make money I'll do it here and then I'll teach two or three students on the side to keep my addiction going you know and uh, they didn't that's have really interesting what you did was you took what you loved and what you were motivated to teach which hopefully is what every listener on this program is experiencing and you put it through a filter and you put it through the filter of what what can i do best using what i have great passion for to improve the lives of my students and every instructor has to go through that or they're they're living a false existence right and that is that's so important because it doesn't matter if it's jiu-jitsu it's it's shotokan or 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 kickboxing the kicking, punching, the, the, it could be Russian ballet. Right. I mean, I tell you what, Russian ballet instructors probably have these same instruct these, these same conversations. Right, you know, exactly. So it, it's there's nothing particularly special about the martial arts. You just look at the people, and you can know that pretty quickly. Right, so, right. <laughs> and I don't mean to be mean, but the, uh, we're just people. You know, just people that, that got into the whole martial arts thing. But to take what you've learned, what's affected you, and then put it through the filter, which you did so brilliantly. And that's a great story that you shared, and I appreciate that. That um, really makes the end result more meaningful for your students. In the end, you're going to come out with a much better curriculum, a much better product. Right, exactly. And, and that's what had happened. I mean, it's that, that's where it had developed into 
something that, you know, and, and I've seen this over the years, you know, sometimes maybe it was just through trial and error where my kids went from three-year-olds, now they're 25-year-old attorneys and doctors and lawyers, and they attribute a lot of, you know, of course, the lessons and the discipline and the focus towards getting through college and staying in, on the path, that kind of thing. So, um, but now I'm really looking at it from that point of view. What can I do? What, what lessons can I teach that will guide them down this specific pathway? Similar to that, if you were to take a sales training course, you got to start from point A and go to, you know, whatever point that you're going to go to, 1 through 20 or whatever it is to learn the actual course, like college or whatever it may be. So, again, okay. yeah, more so, More so that it gives what you teach more foundation. Right. And it gives you, as an instructor, a better place to teach from because it has a substantial foundation. And you know in your heart, this is why we do these things. And it's Absolutely. not because I was taught this, because my instructor could be a ding-dong. Yeah, yeah. And, a ding -dong and, and a lot of us, you know, a lot of our instructors were, uh, you know, uh, in spite of, uh, you know, I've had many instructors, but probably a, a good hand, handful of them were, uh, you know, they taught me by accident. You know, I learned the skills yeah. of what not to do because they were doing it to me. And I said, oh, I'll never do that to my students. But it was a valuable lesson, of course. Well, I think a good example, well, and, I, and I'll slide in a quick plug, my book, who killed Walt Bone? Walt Bone was my instructor. Guy was a great martial arts instructor, but there was more to the the the, the scenario than that. He was also a drug smoker. Oh so wow! The, yeah. So the book Who Killed Walt Bone. If anybody out there is, it runs a martial arts school is involved in martial arts deeply, they will find Who Killed Walt Bone to be highly entertaining, to say the least. Well, you know what? Before we get off the call or behind the scenes, let's get a link to that, John, and we'll post it up on our podcast so that you know people could click on it and maybe purchase it on Amazon or wherever you have it available. Waltbone.com will take you right to the Amazon page. Okay, awesome. And, so, and I'll, so make gonna... sure that, uh, I'll make sure that I'll make. I I'll make sure that that gets up there. I'm kind of curious if I could ask this question. I know prior to us uh, hitting record, Mr. Graydon, you and I were talking about uh, the fact that. You know, we don't know what we don't know in, in the context of uh, self-defense. I know, and, and I think this falls in right exactly where we were talking, is creating a, an experience and a curriculum that is actually real for our students. Because I know that once I got my second-degree black belt in Tung Sudo, um, I quickly found out, and that's kind of about the same time that I was uh, being you know, NATMA was uh, was being opened up to me, maybe within a six-month time span of that. But anyhow, um, that there was a lot more out there. And seeing some of those things that were out there, I, I don't know that I would have been able to – I know I wouldn't have been able to handle myself on the ground. I know that I would not have been able to handle myself, you know, with a uh, uh, an in-close fighter as opposed to somebody that we could spar back and forth. And so uh, finding out all that information, I know that you and I – had spoke, again, before we hit record with regards to the fact that, um, you know, we as school owners, we, we don't know what we don't know. And how did, how did you come about maybe having some of those epiphanies? I'll tell you what, this is, you know, you guys, I do a ton of these interviews, and this is, this is one of the best. You guys are, are doing a really good job. The one day, Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis was my hero growing up. On my first night going to white belt class, my dad pulled in to get gas, and I convinced him to buy a karate magazine. It was Professional Karate Magazine, issue number two. On the back cover 
was a the, the classic Joe Lewis flying sidekick. And I thought, holy cow, who the heck is this guy? This, I mean, he he's a superhero. Everything about him was just superhero. And, and even my dad, he followed him, and, and we talked about Joe Lewis. And and lo and behold, when my instructor, uh, his wife divorced him, and he went to a really dark place. Joe Lewis moved from Los Angeles to uh, Largo, Florida, to live with my instructor to help him get out of his hole. And so I had an initial experience with this guy, Joe Lewis. But, you know, fast forwarding, as I described to you, that he convinced me to open the school. And just having all the the conversations with him about his time with Bruce Lee, what he thought about Muhammad Ali, you know, Walt Bone was, was pragmatic. Joe Lewis was ultra pragmatic. I mean, when he entered his first tournament, he won not just fighting. He beat everybody. His first tournament, 18 months after his first karate class, he, it was the, the D.C. Nationals, Gene Lee's tournament. He showed up to, to just watch the thing, reconvinced him to compete for five bucks. He won fighting. He got one point score to him the whole day. He also won kata and weapons kata. And his, again, the following year, he went back and won every. It was just, it was, it's like pulling somebody out of the crowd and they're winning the Masters tournament, their first right. time, and they come back the following year and do it again. Holy cow! I mean, it's just mind blowing. And I was I was just really blessed. I mean, I, Joe Lewis moved here. He took me on as his training partner. Mike Anderson moved here. We're close friends to this day. By the way, he is a a, a big part of the book. You know, and and I'll tell you where it all started, and Ali, you'll really appreciate this. I, my dad took us to see The Five Fingers of Death. Oh, yeah. It was the worst kung fu movie ever, but we'd never seen anything like it before, and I, I was just stunned. Holy cow. So the following Monday, being the kid that I was and the adult that I am, I take action, I was on the phone calling karate schools. Right. And most karate schools, you know, like, you know, if, if they even answered the phone, you know, it right. would be like, you know, quite Chang Cuckoo Karate, how may I help you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. How much your lessons? $25 a month. Okay, thanks. Bye. Click. And yep. then one guy, though, took the time to ask me, why am I interested in training? What do you want to get out of this? And he, he talked to me. Wow. And then he said, you know what, the best thing you could do is, is come in and just watch one of our classes, and you'll, you'll really get an idea of what's going on. That guy was well boom. Wow. That's great. Well, listen, I I have a a funny story I want to tell you about Joe Lewis. Joe Joe and I filmed the movie The Cutoff with Michael DiPasquale, which you know, and and Joe and I spent like three weeks on – on the set, and as you know, he was quite a joker, right? You know, he yeah. he people through their paces, right? So I remember one point, him and I, he was playing a homeless man. He's sitting in, in full makeup on the side of the road waiting for the next scene, and him and I are just chatting, and then probably five minutes into the conversation, he just kind of shuts down for a second, then he turns to me, he goes, you want to fight me, don't you? And I'm like, no, sir, I don't. He's like, well, why? What, are you afraid of me? And he's like, he starts the intimidation thing that he quite often did. And then he flipped right back into, um, you know, just laughing and joking. He just wanted to, he wanted to feel me out, which was the greatest thing that I've seen anybody do, where he just wanted to see what my purpose was of being there chatting with him. And uh, I thought it was just so great at how he would kind of just size people up like that. And, he would uh, test people. Yeah, continuously, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that the... Um 
I did my first seminar with him. Mike Anderson said, you know, can you do a Joe Lewis seminar? And I, I never promoted a seminar in my life, but I got 100 people to come up. And the next day I handed Joe Lewis $2,000 in cash. And right. I said, you talk, you talk too much. <laughs> he looked at me and said, what? I said, when you teach, you talk too much. No one's ever critiqued my teaching before. I said, well, you talk too much. Right. I, I think for that moment on, I had his respect. <laughs> there you go. That was it. Yeah, I said, you know, if I'm if, if I'm charging people one price to be a spectator and one price to be a participant, there has to be a different experience. Right, right, exactly. Just, oh. just listen to you babble on. Right. From that point, that point on, we uh, we got on with. Well, Mr. Graydon, I know that I, I just want to say that you know one of the reasons why I went back and looked at um, you know what I was teaching, and I really challenged myself to. To decide if this was, you know, if I couldn't answer why I was doing something, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. Um, really allowed me to understand uh, and, and, and to pick different endeavors to get into to learn how to teach self-defense, not only for myself, which again I was, like I said before, a second-degree black belt, but uh, but that was just in a quote-unquote one style. Uh, it allowed me to go back and go, oh my gosh, you know, I I would get my butt kicked on the ground. I would get my uh, you know what I'm saying? So uh, yep. when when was there uh, a time that you thought to yourself, wow, okay, yeah, I, I'm really good at stand-up, but some of these area, other areas, I need to visit some other styles or seminars or something to <laughs> be able to implement that? You know, I, I'll tell you a very specific story. Joe Lewis and I were sitting in the waiting room of a, photographer's, uh, a photography studio, and the photographer was on the other side of the room it's probably imagine a, a twenty by twenty room, and the studio was in the back. But he's talking with his publicist, specifically a student of mine. And I started asking Joe about grappling. I said, I don't think I know anything about grappling. He said, I'm a much better wrestler than I am a karate guy. I go, really? He goes, yeah. Let me show you. For the next twenty minutes, <laughs> I was I was flung all over that room. <laughs> I actually at one point slid head first under the chair the photographer was sitting under. It was like straight out of a comedy movie. Where you, excuse me. <laughs> and he was pulling me back doing some kind of ankle lock or arm bar or something. I mean, it was it was a brutal beating that was a great eye-opener to the fact that, you know, one steps really aren't self-defense. Right. And holy cow, what a – I mean – uh, that, that's when I started to realize that we have no freaking clue about self-defense. Most martial artists are clueless, and I and I'd say I would I'd venture to say 98% of martial arts schools that are advertising self-defense have no clue what they're talking about. It's not their fault, but it wasn't my fault either. It's just you don't know what you don't know. But yeah. with the resources like you know Cobra, which is a self-defense certified dot com. That, that changes everything. Uh, again, in the, as I was explaining to, to Dwayne before the interview, Chris Sutton is, is a unique guy in a couple of ways. First off, I was his first karate instructor because he watched me on TV. I had a TV show that aired every week, three days a week, and he would watch it as, as a 10-year-old. And his father had a real alcohol problem. And one night his dad came home drunk and attacked his brother and Chris remembered what I taught him on TV. You have to do something. He took a book and he knocked his dad out cold. 
Wow. And that was the, that was the first karate experience he had. And I was the guy in blue, the guy in the blue uniform, like a Smurf uniform. And then uh, years later, after launching NAMA, now you didn't hear this part, my first mission with NAMA was to find the best self-defense instructors in the country and give them the platform of NAMA so that martial arts schools could close the gap. Because I knew that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about when it came to self-defense. That's where, you know, Krav Maga is on every street corner now, but I'm the one that brought it into the martial arts. I gave them that platform. I met with those guys in L.A. Same with CDT, same with uh, John Pellegrini. I mean, all good guys, and I'm happy for the success. But fast forward 10 years, my kids are in the karate class at Chris Sutton's school. I don't know the guy from Adam. I've never met him, never talked to him. If I did, I didn't remember it. So he jumped out. And he started to teach a segment on anti-abduction, how a child can prevent themselves from being abducted. And I turned to my wife and I said, that is the best self-defense training I've ever seen. I could not have taught a minute of that. This guy is amazing. And lo and behold, he's been amazing ever since. And this is you know 10 years ago. The guy blows my mind. He was not only a black belt. He, he did actually earn a black belt under my brother Jim. But... He was a street cop in Largo, Florida, which is not the nicest place where I grew up. He was a sheriff, and he was a maximum security prison guard, which basically means you will fight every day. These people, that that's a job description. You'll fight every day. No one has more experience than I've seen. And one of the things I think that's important with, with you know, Krav Maga and, and, and a lot of these uh, self-defense systems, you have to ask, what hands-on day-to-day experience and for how long did this instructor have? I mean, is it is he learning from a book? Is he learning from from um, maybe Krav Maga, which is military base, and military guys don't engage in hand-to-hand combat on a regular basis? Prison guards do. I mean, that's a whole different world. So it, it's really taught me to to uh, assess a self-defense program in a different way and and the for people wanting to check out Chris, he's at selfdefensecertified.com or selfdefenseprofessional.com. But you know, it was it was really those kind of epiphanies, Dwayne, that that helped me understand that I have to look closely at what I'm doing, so that I'm not just repeating the errors of the past. That I'm doing it for a reason that makes it different moving forward. Well, and I will say that I, I appreciate the humility that you have and had at that time you know, with NATMA and then even now, too, that you you knew that you didn't know how to truly do those things. And so seeing and looking for somebody that could actually fill that gap um, for you personally and then for the martial arts industry, I think is huge. And you allowed, like I said, you allowed me to be able to, to, to look at my quote-unquote art, if you will, uh, although, you know, my school is not made up of, of one particular style anymore. Um it's just a, it's a hodgepodge, if you will. But that allowed me to be able to go, okay, if this doesn't work, what will? And to invite other experts to, you know, basically look at my curriculum through through my eyes and then be able to see the holes that were in there. And I just, I really appreciate that. So, and so other school owners, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're you're wondering, you know, hey, can I switch things? Can I change things? I think some of the big things that you know Mr. Graydon had brought up with the with the fact that you know this isn't an endeavor, 
number one. And so because it's not an industry, because it's not something that's quote unquote sanctioned by uh, some sort of set of rules in order to be qualified to teach that we have to elevate those rules. I know you were attempting to do that with the, uh, and I'm going to mess up the name maybe, but the, the ACMA, the American Correct. Council of Martial Arts. Is that what it was called? Okay. Um, yep. And I thought that was a, a, a phenomenal idea, but I do like the, what you're talking about, that it's, it's not an industry, it's an endeavor. Yeah. And the fact that there is a separation between tradition, traditional and, and classical. I think those are some of the huge points that I just got from from you today. So thank you for that. Allie, any, anything else you want to add? And, and then Mr. Graydon, too? Uh, I just do have one point, and I think that one thing for the listeners to understand, and I think, John, this is a, it'll be easy for you to uh, get people to open up their ears a little bit more as well, is that um, even with the self-defense aspect, school owners don't have to uh, and, and I'll use this as the, the term, admit that they don't know what they don't know because that ties into the ego. But to go into any type of endeavor, whether it be a new business concept or coaching from a quality coach or self-defense training, um, that they could at least go and experience it and take out and extract as much as they can from that program and then plug that into their system. Because I think that's a big mistake because a lot of the times they, that uh, people who are innovators, like you, John, when you first started NATMA, uh, there's a, a bit of resistance because people feel threatened by it. Not in a bad way. They just, you know, it's hard for anyone to rock their foundation. So people hold on to the values that, you know, their, their integrity, that, uh, what they've learned. Um, and I say integrity in training because I use that in my school all the time. I said, you have integrity in your training, meaning like are you doing your stances properly every time? Are you punching at the hardest every time? Are you standing in the proper position every time? I call that training integrity. Um, mm -hmm. like, like if you were to build a bridge and you didn't use integrity during the build, the bridge could fall down, which we see in our government right now. And I had to throw in that plug. Um, you know, for Thank that. You. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of one of the guys that some people want to love to hate, but anyway, I won't mention names. But me um, too. Yeah. So, uh, but but John, so that I think that if people are listening and they say, okay, well, I can go, and and I'll tell you a quick two second story. I trained. Uh, I do a lot of firearms training, and I train with uh, SEALs, air marshals, and guys like that. And I was a good shooter. My dad's a retired cop, and, or at least I thought I was a good shooter, um, until I, I sat next to a, a Navy SEAL, and he said, do you realize that if you just pulled your trigger like this, your shooting will become like 80% better? And he taught me about this thing on a gun called a sear, and I talked to Dwayne about this, where when you, re when you compress the trigger and release it, it clicks at a certain point where you don't have to fully extend it to an open trigger. I never knew about that. No one taught wow. me that my dad is a cop, never taught me that. So I could, you could pull the trigger and only release it, and you'll feel a slight click so that the trigger is compressed already but not fully extended. So, of course, um, you know, anyway, long story short, without going into detail on that, that one little thing took my shooting to an entire world, a new world of, of quality. And, and I would have never gotten that if it weren't for that guy just showing that, that one little specific change so if school owners are listening, that one little change, that one little addition from what you're learning could make your whole world change. I think it emphasizes the point that you must always be a student. Absolutely. You, you, you had the, the, the great credentials. You know, I was raised by a police officer. I've been raised around shooting. I'm a shooting expert. 
and you think right. you are, and you know you are, but you don't know what you don't know. And suddenly this guy says, you know, if you just do this, holy cow, everything changes. You know, isn't that interesting? That's a great story. Yeah, and as you said, too, how do you know what you don't know unless you learn it, right? So that it's this whole Zen philosophy. So how can you know how to become a better businessman un- unless you've had someone show you what you've been doing wrong, and then you're like, you have this epiphany. So that's why good coaches who've been through the test of time come into play or a great instructor who could point out your, your uh, mistakes. So, again, uh, in closing, I just want everyone to understand that that's where – opening your mind. It doesn't mean you have to strip down and, and start from scratch. It doesn't mean you have to give away what you've learned and all the time you've put in because it is not a waste. It's just a matter of opening the mind and grabbing more stuff and pulling it into what you do um, and you'll be that much better off because of it. And John, I thank you so much. If you, want, if you have any closing statements or if you want to plug anything, please do so now because it's been a great call. Thank you. Well, um, I, I want to... Can I interrupt real quick, John? Yeah, yeah I, go ahead. I want to say that, okay, I just want to say that, um, you know, number one, if you're not familiar with Martial Arts Teacher, Teachers Association, um, I would get online and look that up, and I've been a member since the uh, inception, so I've been with you from uh, the beginning with that, and there is a plethora of information that is on there, and there's more information on there that I that I don't use than I, that I do, than, than what I do use, and it's not because it isn't any good. It's just it's just so much stuff on there. Uh, it is a, um, you know, remember the encyclopedia people that would come out and knock on your door and go to sell you? I mean, it's, it's, it's that on steroids, right? I mean, it's just, it's amazing. So, and I'm not overselling it by any stretch of the imagination. Also, um, I do want to just, and I, I'll, I'll just plug it, is that you and Chris Sutton's uh, uh, anti-bullying booklet uh i mean it's a a full-fledged course is the real deal and i just bought the active shooter one and i went through it and read it and watched the dvds and and everything and and it's just it is phenomenal and i i actually like i was telling you before we hit record i actually feel um uh, not bad about teaching it but i still feel unqualified to teach it the active shooter one uh is what i'm talking about just because of how good it is and so if you're looking for any of that type of information, I definitely would go to Martial Arts Teachers Association. And, and uh, you do at least a weekly email, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And there's always at least one or two, like, phenomenal, phenomenal articles that are uh, written by you. So uh, not that the other ones are, aren't good, but there's usually a couple that are just outstanding. So I wanted to say that because I didn't want you to feel like you had to plug yourself. I'll plug you because I – I wholeheartedly uh, believe in what you're doing. Thank you very much. So it's all, so anything all your... else? Anything else, uh, Mr. Green? I'm just going to wrap by saying, you know, be a student, be open-minded, do not fall into the don't stop drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I'll just end with that. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid because this whole idea of martial arts it's just a beautiful way to make a living. You help people in such a such great ways. So, so for a martial arts school owner, my challenge to you is find ways to become better at helping people improve their lives, not to become better at teaching your style. The heck with your style. Find ways to help people improve their lives, and you'll always do fine. 
That's awesome. Great job. So anyway, everybody who's listening, thanks so much. I'm thinking that you're going to absolutely love this, and I think it's going to be a buzz within the in- industry. Quote fingers again. Um, so thanks for listening. Please share this with your um, your friends in the in the martial arts and school owners. And uh, John, it was absolutely. And Dwayne, thanks for being on the call again. But John, thanks for t- taking the time to spend it with us and sharing. So I'm really appreciative. Everybody, listen, we're going to sign off. Have an amazing day, everybody, and hope to see you and talk to you soon.